Welcome to the Sunday night service. We are in our series on conversations on race in our third week. And uh, it's been a great series so far. We have a great panel here tonight of four members from our congregation and a couple staff. Um, so I'm gonna have them introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Cassie Ng. Um, I'm married to Toby and we have five kids. We're, uh, we live here in Chicago in the Logan Square neighborhood and we've been attending Moody Church for two years now. And I'm Albert Whitfield. I've been a member of Moody Church for five years, uh, serving in the kids ministry, the young adult community, um, the youth ministry as well. And uh, I work as a planner at an architecture firm Hi, my name is uh, Josue Reyes. I'm the pastor for Hispanic and men's ministry at the Moody Church. Uh, my wife and I, uh, Karina, and we had three kids. We have been part of Moody Church uh, for almost 12 years now. And uh, we were members before we came on staff, and we really love you know, what the Lord has been doing, how um, the church has become really our family here. So it's a pleasure to be here just to share this time together. Good evening. My name is Bob Gunner. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries at the Moody Church. My wife, Lynn, and I have been at Moody Church for about 20 years. Uh, just a few weeks ago, just a week and a half ago, we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. So that confirms that we're old. At least I am. Uh, we have a couple adult kids that are in their 40s and seven grandkids. And uh, this is a great place to work. Thanks, guys. Um, one of the things um, that's embedded in the idea of conversation, right, it's ongoing, it's continuous. And so uh, we have two weeks previous that we're continuing the conversation. So the first week, uh, the series focused on the image of God. Um, and then the last week, it was on um, the uh, one new man, right, that we see in Ephesians. And so uh, tonight, we were, we're building upon that and continuing the conversation going. And so uh, we, we want to engage in, in dialogue that is, is not necessarily solving all the problems, but we are uh, wanting to continue and, and foster healthy dialogue on the issue of race. So Isaiah 1, uh, 16 and 17, was a, was a verse that Pastor Eric Targe uh, read the first week in the series. And I thought it was so helpful to frame up the, uh, the series and what we're trying to do. And let, let me read that text because I think it orients us so well. This is Isaiah chapter one, uh, verses 16 and 17. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil from your deeds before your eyes. Um, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And, and that's just a great, there's so much there that is so helpful to orient our discussion and our thinking um, on this and hopefully behavior uh, with uh, what we're talking about. And I think the big thing here is, is learn. We're, we're coming to learn. There's an ongoing, um, that's why I love conversation. It's an ongoing learning that's happening as we dialogue, as we discuss, as we hear each other's stories as we hear the biblical text and what God's pronouncement is upon us. And there's also love and humility here, right? There's, there's a sense of, uh, I'm not just coming to learn as in the classroom, but like, I truly want to understand. And, and that, that stems from the love of Christ, uh, giving us a heart that is willing to learn with that. Um, one of the things that I think is helpful as we think about um, church history is, is 
the people of God have always um, wanted to, to look back of what has gone before and to look ahead about what is coming, right? And so that they can figure out how am I to function and live and faithfully uh, be Christ in the midst of our cultural moment. And that's what I think we need to do as well today is thinking back to the cross, to salvation, to what Christ has done. But tonight our focus is on uh, what is still yet to come, right? So the heavenly vision of, of what is in store in glory and how that begins to shape uh, how we think about race, how we think about uh, just our cultural realities of our day and faithfully living as Christians in our current context. So that, that's, that's kind of uh, it, is trying to start with the end in mind so that that informs uh, how we function currently. So um, the book of Revelation is a great place that, that speaks a whole lot about, about the future. Um, and, and it says, kind of a good cast of vision of, of who we are and who we will be in the pronouncement upon us. So Albert, would you mind walking through kind of a little bit of what John says in Revelation um, on how that speaks to race and humanity? Yeah, I think uh, it's certainly profound. I think also we have to recognize, though, it's kind of the epilogue. And so those themes are being punctuated in Revelation. Um, and there are themes that come up really in the, in the very beginning of the scriptural narrative. Uh, and you see back in Genesis, God declaring to Abraham that he's going to make him the father of many nations, um, essentially a, a nation of rulers and priests who will take up that, that mantle um, of, of representative rule that Adam sort of laid aside. Um, and so we see even, even there that before there are a, a Jewish people, um, before there is a distinction, these are the, the people that God has chosen specifically, um, God is declaring that he's going to bring all the peoples of the earth back into the fold through Abraham. And so that narrative, I think, is carried in many ways throughout the rest of the scriptures. And so you see in Revelation, um, as John is, you know, looking, I think the, his, his angelic tour guide <laughs> in the vision is like pointing him to uh, this um, new representation of the tribes of Israel. Um, and it's like the, the number of the, the tribes on an exponential scale. And, you know, of course, John as a Jew would be really excited to see this new trial or tribe. And uh, when he goes to look where they are or who they are, um, it's a number greater than he can number. Um, an innumerable mass of people he sees from not just, you know, um, what was Asia Minor or what became Europe and the Messianic Jews, but people from every nation and tribe and language um, and people group that exist beyond what he could even really comprehend in that one, in that one time, just taking, taking it all in. Uh, and so I think, yeah, that's the culmination of the vision. And all those people, you know, waving their palm branches, clothed in white, they're all unified in their purpose, in their mission. Uh, many of them may have died for the cause of Christ. Um, and they're unified in ruling, at not at really different levels, but um, together, unified evenly. Um, regardless of their ethnic, socioeconomic, socioeconomic um, 
or whatever you know human divisions you might want to draw between them. They're they're unified in Christ's life, death, and rule of creation. Thanks, thanks. In Galatians and Galatians three, Colossians three. Um, there's discussion on, on how Christ has broken down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Uh, Josue, can you, can you give us a little bit of insight there uh, on how that has shaped our, our biblical understanding of race? Yes, our biblical understanding of race. Well, let's, let's just consider really quickly, um, briefly, what is, how do we use the word race? And uh, if you do a quick search, you'll find that race is, is the word we use to identify uh, Specific characteristics on a group of people, maybe origin, language, tradition, uh, maybe even physical traits, right? Uh, and that's how we use race. There's nothing wrong with, with noticing differences. The, the problem is we, we do live in a fallen world. And um, here, uh, Paul is writing to the churches, and he's addressing some serious issues in the church. And one of the things that that I like about these passages, especially in Galatians 3, both of them, Galatians 3 and Colossians 3, is that he begins by, uh, he begins by speaking to the church and say, listen, um, when you consider what you have declared to be your faith, uh, you have been redefined. Christ came and redefined what race is. See, uh, and he says it's based on, on what Christ has done. In, Col in Galatians 3, he talks about how the law, the law was given to kind of be our guardian. He says the law was a guardian to kind of keep us waiting for the one fulfillment that will actually bring the promise. And the promise was the promise of life, to have eternal life. There, life was uh, kind of taken away, right? Death came in because of sin, and the promise of the Messiah was coming. And Paul is sent to the church. Uh, you need to remember that <clears throat> becoming legalistic about how well you do the law is not going to bring you life. The law never brought life, actually brought condemnation. So the reality is that it's not until Christ comes back and the law is kind of holding us, kind of waiting that holding period to Christ comes back and not through Christ. And we say, he says, um, verse 25, but since the faith has come, we're no longer under the guardian, speaking of the law. Verse 26, for through faith, all of you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. And then, of course, he goes on to speak about verse 27, 28. You know, there is no Jew and no Greek, slave or free, male or female, since uh, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So it's redefining race now in light of the new nature of the, our faith in Christ. So <clears throat> Colossians has, Galatians, sorry, speaking about the promise, the promise of life. And then when it comes to we, when it comes to it, we all gonna, those of us that have trusted Christ, we have the same promise. We are one new people. It won't matter if you were born under the law and follow it, you know, through tradition, or if you're brand new and you come under grace, like all of us, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Gentile church, we, we came under grace. We don't know what it's like to live under the law. Yet we receive the same promise because we are made new. We are made from dead to life. You see, remember, Jesus did not come to make us better because we were dead. <laughs> so he, made, he came to make us alive. And when we think that we contribute something to this relationship, think about it. What do you bring into relationship with God? 
sent. That's it, right? That you have nothing else to offer. So it's a beautiful promise to say when the Messiah will come and fulfill all that is required to pay for our sins, that we're given the same promise, the promise of life. And now we have a new identity, and it doesn't matter what your background was. Now, Colossians, it kind of has a similar theme, except that I love when Paul talks to the church and says, listen, so if you have been raised, if you have been raised with Christ, okay, if you, if you really have come to trust Jesus Christ, then you have to understand that you are, had to start behaving differently. So the first one is a promise of life. The second passage has to do with actually now you need to start living the new reality. And that has been a problem all of the human history, and it has been an issue in the church forever. You look in Revelation, you know, Laodicea, right? Uh, Laodicea there, they said, <laughs> Jesus said, you think you're rich. In your eyes, you say, we have accomplished all this, and, and I, I don't need anything. We, we have it all. And Jesus says, you are you're blind, you are foolish, you are naked, you're shameful, Right? You're blind. You don't see. And he says, what you need to do is, is start living. You have to come to me to get your value. You have to buy refined gold from me, refined gold through fire. The faith is tested. And he says, and you need to, to get some sap, some uh, uh, medicine for your eyes, which Laodicea was known for, this, this uh, medication that they put in the eyes to, to deal with, with uh, many of the medical issues. And Jesus says, you need to come to me and let me give you the medicine you need to so that you can truly see who you are. And he redefines race. And, and here he says, you need to start living the things of the past. You need to start living that new reality that you encourage. So you need to stop the worldly things uh, which, and put on the, the new things. Start thinking uh, in the things of Bob. And he goes on to say that the things of this life is just sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and these... Uh, and idolatry, which all of these are idolatry. When you think about it, all the things of this world, they are to satisfy who? Us. See? And when you look at the world, and when we live by the standards of the world, you're not living to, to serve others. You're not living to serve God. You're living to serve yourself. So all these sins, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, envy, they're all based around the idea of satisfying God. But in this case, you, because you have placed yourself in the place of God, which makes it idolatry. And I think that a lot of the issues that we face in our culture today are just symptoms of that. The symptoms of that when we judge others based on who we are. You know, uh, when we discriminate others or, or we show uh, racist prejudice based because you're different than I am. Who are, whose standard am I using? My standard. Who I think is worthy, who I think is valuable, who I think is important. In, in what Paul is saying, you are no longer live by this world. So as Christians, race has been redefined to be uh, in Christ. There's one people. Do you know, this is even, uh, we can observe this in, in nature and in, I work in, te- I work in media and video production. Um, and there's an instrument we call an oscilloscope. An oscilloscope is a device that you attach and you run a video signal and you can see the hues and the colors of the image so that you can tell when you have a true representation of colors and you can adjust. When it comes to skin color, 
all the skin, all skin colors look the same in the oscilloscope. The oscilloscope is not looking for tones. You don't see any. You just see green dots and measurements of, of color. And it's interesting that all human skin are represented with the same values in the same way in this oscilloscope. Whether you're dark, light, you know, whatever. There's no color for African-American or for white or Hispanic. They all look the same under this tool. And that's how God sees us. He doesn't see us how well we tan or don't tan. He sees how much value we have because he made us. And in Christ, I think there in the world, there's actually two races. That one that has been saved by Christ and the one that has not. And of course, as you know, we can have those discussions. The world doesn't understand that. But we as a church, we should understand race as we are now a new people with a new promise of life, with a new standard of living, new values, faithful to God, not based on what I feel or like, but based on the Word of God, because the Word of God allows us to see clearly. So I, I think those are the, 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 main passage, the main meaning of these passages. Thanks, brother. That's, that's helpful. I like that illustration. Bob, what, there's other passages in the Bible that, that guide us on racial reconciliation. Can you, yeah, can you point out some of those for us? The, the verses that we'll focus on tonight and, and talk about really should make it obvious that it should be easy to be reconciled. Easy to be reconciled. We should understand each other very well. Particularly within the church, we have the same promises, same values, the same standards of living. Uh, the same uh, uh, sonship in God. And so it should be easy, and, and you guys are right. What's spoiled it has been sin, and that's turned everything around. Acts uh, 17, 26, and I'm going to start at verse 24, kind of helps us down the road a bit. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands if, as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. For one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being. And all the terms here in terms of men and nation speak to humanity. So I, I, I don't take issue with, with Josue's uh, characterization of there's two races, saved and unsaved, but in terms of the biblical text, uh, there's nothing that ever speaks to the skin color factor at all. Tribe, nation, people, languages, there are all kind of group, uh, people group uh, terminology for it. And the passage here says that uh, God made all humanity one race from one source, and that's the human race. And we can we can parse it to say, yeah, and the human race has two different spiritual destinations. Uh, and God has appointed uh, different places for us to live. You know, go back to the Tower of Babel and what he did with languages, and off you go, guys. Uh, Josue and I were talking, weren't we earlier about this? About uh, what was the problem with the Tower of Babel? Well, they wanted their own way, and they wanted to stay together, being disobedient to God's call to, to spread throughout the world. Uh, and I like the fact that every human lives and moves and exists under God's control, pursuant to God's mandates. And so this, this passage particularly says, we come from one place, from one man, that was Adam, and uh, God controls all of, 
our, uh, our operations as, as humans. So it should be easy, but for sin. And if you look at the New Testament and the Old Testament, for that matter, there are lots of passages that speak to the uh, distinctions and differences and prejudice between peoples. And often it will be clan, tribes, uh, geographical positions, uh, social class, gender. But again, contrary to the American, I think, concept of the whole race issue, the dispute there being a matter of black and white, which it isn't, it's black and white, and Hispanic and white and, and black, and it's a very complex issue. But really, the business has been there in the Bible, recorded in the Bible from the beginning of time. Uh, Jews versus Greeks and Gentiles, those terms are used kind of interchangeably to be the other people. The Greeks and barbarians, barbarians beneath them. Um, there's one uh, passage in First Titus I like, First Titus 1.12, where the Jews were criticizing uh, believers on Crete. I like this. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. So right there in the scripture we have uh, prejudice going on because there were differences in people. And uh, so God, God comes to them and says, here's my son to reconcile you. And I think at two different levels. And and that's why I think knowing our theology, uh, knowing our theology helps us understand the commonality of mankind and then why we don't have that innate uh, adhesion to one another. Uh, and I think beyond the one promise, one values, one creator, one source, we have one spirit. And a, a verse that gripped my heart a number of years ago, 2 Corinthians uh, 5, uh, 13. All scriptures given, no, that's not it. It's, uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things pass away, all things are becoming new. And so even if we, in our sinfulness, have differences of opinion about people who act and look differently than us, we have the Holy Spirit that's going to give us a new perspective on all these things. And that's why the Word of God and God's Spirit interacting in our hearts changes our minds, changes how we look at life, reveals to us the sin that's there that we don't know about. Uh, and so the Spirit, along with God's Word and the promises and, and the knowledge, the theological knowledge of where we all come from, we're all the same, there's a commonality here. The Spirit of God comes to convict us of our sins and renews our minds, as it says in Romans 12, 2. So uh, Christians should be, above all people, non-prejudiced and should be quickly aware of their sin in that arena. And God's Spirit is there to help us resolve that and move in a new direction. That's good. Thanks, brother. That is helpful. That's a good guide. Uh, I want to go back to um, Colossians 3 for a minute because Paul lays out the vision here of, of um, putting off the old self, taking and putting on the new uh, of us being in Christ. But then as he walks us through that passage, um, it moves to, to a corporate emphasis, right? It, it, all of a sudden, we're, there's communal implications there. Uh, Cassie, can you, can you kind of like tease that out for us? Yeah, you know, as I was looking through these passages and reading through uh, Colossians 3, like some of my um, brothers here have um, talked about, I was really struck by what uh, came after, uh, towards the end of the chapter, about um, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So that's verse 15. And I think the reason why we talk about peace is because there's not going to be peace because we know the reality of sinful people being together is that we're going 
to be at odds with one another and hurt each other often. And um, this really stood out to me in this, in context of this relationship, uh, I'm sorry, in the context of this conversation we're having is because there has been so much conflict and there has been so much um, hurt in our society, within our churches, which has brought us to this place now, which is why we're having these conversations. And they are uncomfortable and they should be uncomfortable because they deal with um, the way we've hurt one another. And it made me, this, this passage really brought to mind, I'm sure many of us have seen uh, the, the protests and the Black Lives Matters um, protests either in person or in the news, and this one sign that keeps coming up says, no justice, no peace. And I think that really resonated with me because at first glance, it feels like a threat. Like, if you don't give us justice, we won't leave you alone. But when I look at that, I find it deeply theological because when we think about how we have made peace with Christ, it wasn't through any of our own doing. It was because Christ offered that peace to us, but we can only access it if we recognize and acknowledge that we are dead, that we have sin, that we have hurt one another. And only until we confess that and sit in it and um, commit to repairing that relationship um, and accept that Christ has justified, it's Christ's work that brings justice because otherwise the just thing would be for us to die in our sin. But because Christ has taken that on himself, then justice is satisfied. Then we can have peace. So until we deal with all of these things in our churches, in our relationships, um, in our society, start with the starting point of there has been harm done, maybe not intentional, and maybe it was not your generation that did it, but that does not discount the fact that there has been hurt and there has been harm done. And until we address and are willing to sit down and say, I'm sorry, we have hurt our brothers and sisters. How can we show um, love to one another? Until we really address and are willing to sit in that discomfort um, and in that humility, we can't move on to peace. And so I think it's really important to remember that peace is what we're all looking for and unity, and we have the gift of that in Christ, but it doesn't come without a cost. No, thank you. That That is... Incredibly helpful. So we've heard a lot um, already, right? A lot of great passages, uh, a lot of good truth uh, that, that, that um, the Lord speaks to us through on this issue. What encouragement do we draw from this, right? When it gets down to the brass tacks of like, okay, in my everyday ex uh, experience or my children or what encouragement can we draw from these truths? Any, any thoughts there? I guess one thought I would have would be that unless we have the vertical relationship in place, the horizontal relationships will be difficult. And uh, when we have the vertical relationship in, in shape and God's word and God's spirit is speaking to us on a daily basis and, and uh, monitoring and managing our attitudes and our actions, then it's gonna be easier and easier to understand God's word that we are all made from the, we're all the same race, we have the same blood, we have the same commonality. We have the same penchant for sin. 
And we're all struggling in different areas, but God is there to sanctify us. Mm -hmm. And all of us are at different stages in the process of sanctification. And so that would uh, suggest that we can give grace pretty easily because we're all heading on the same path with the same disabilities. And there's the beauty of the gospel, right? Our need for grace, our need for mercy, uh, the humility to, to own our sin, confess it, repent, and receive uh, the new vision that, that Christ has allowed us to walk into um, individually and then relationally. It's good. Uh, one of the things I wanted to, to, to mention too, each of us have a story, right? Each of us have, have lived lives, some longer than others. Thank you. Um, and and, and th as we think about these things, um, you know, we're kind of on a journey and maybe we're at a different place now than where we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Speak to that on, on how your, your understanding, your awareness has maybe... Um, progressed over, over the years on issues of, of race or racism. And this is this is, can be for anyone. Well, um, I know my own journey in this particular subject is kind of an interesting because my background, my ethnic background, my race background um, is uh, I have biracial marriage in my, in my family. My mother is American and my father is Mexican. And that alone is like a whole, I mean, when they ask, when they ask me what to fill up in those surveys, and I have no clue exactly. I, I could go either way. Actually, I just recently discovered that my great-grandfather was German. So I, I used to get around, you know, don't be fooled by the accent, I'm Irish, right? But <laughs> it, the truth is that this world is driven so much by what your background is to, to try to define you. And as Christians, we, we can fall into the same trap. And I, you know, if I'm honest, I have fallen into the same trap where you evaluate somebody based on their background, based on their history, based on who they are. Um, you know, I think just like about many I mean, people in the States, I have a couple encounters where I definitely felt that I was being singled out because uh, I was Hispanic or, you know, I did not belong. I remember being stopped in a neighborhood because you, are you lost, sir? <laughs> and when I looked at it, I, it was a very expensive neighborhood. We were traveling, going to college, and I was driving a really beat up car. I looked way out of place. So I don't blame them for thinking something's out of place, but just the fact that that's kind of how the world is, 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 is divided, is that things are in place and things are out of place. And um, one of my personal spiritual journey in this area has been to identify that I can be racist as well. Mm. Then my natural tendency is, if you're different than me, I, I'm not sure that I, I give you the value or the respect or the opportunity that you deserve. And, uh, and that has been eye-opening. You know, when I started looking at people are racist, I re realized I, I can be what James told me not to be, right? Not to show favoritism. And I, we don't call that, but that's exactly the same thing, favoritism. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who do you invite to your house and who you don't invite to your house? Who do you spend that extra 15 minutes in? And you'll be amazed of how you have attributed value to people based on what they can do for you or how similar they are to you 
or culturally, right? Because, I mean, I think God, I think the image in, in Revelation 5 of, of all these people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are represented in the worship. He, he doesn't say race. He just says all this diverse, creative worship, different experiences with, with the power of the gospel of Christ reach everybody around the globe. To me, that's a... a, a representation of the completeness work of God, right? And, and Revelation is so much about complete, right? This is the completion of his plan of redemption. And the worship in heaven, the throne scene in chapter 5, uh, it, it talks about that. It's just about, it's a complete worship represented for every ounce of creativity that the Lord poured into his creation, including languages, practices, traditions, and um, and for me, I have I have had to learn to grow in that area, to accept and and to love those that are different, and to come back to somebody and say, listen, let's make this this about you. What can I learn from you? What is God doing in your life? How did you come to Christ? Because it's going to be very different than the way I came to Christ in Mexico in a children's home while my dad was preaching on a Thursday evening service. How many people have the experience? Not many. Right? So that makes my story different. Uh, that doesn't mean that the person that got converted at Sunday school in Chicago you know, is, is less. On the contrary, to see how God has been faithful in both, <clears throat> that has been one of the wonderful blessings of that God has opened my eyes to say, you can learn something from anybody because they're my children just like you are my child. Uh, so I had to face my own sin. Uh, I would never call it racism, right? But now that you look at it, and say, yeah, there was prejudice, which is racism. Uh, when you judge others by what they look, the seed, tradition, that's exactly what we're talking about. And yeah, and I, and I think that that should inform how we talk to the world. Maybe that's another question. Yeah. But. No, thank you, thank you. Others of you on yeah. how your perspectives changed? I, I had a, a, a flash of insight when Hostway started, and that was, some of the discrimination that we practice is so subtle that we wouldn't even think it's bad. For example, Cassie, when you see another woman, would you notice the brand name on the handbag and suddenly you know, kind of figure out what kind of class she's in, uh, what town she may live in? You know, in, in practice of law, uh, I, I meet a new lawyer. The lawyer didn't know. I'd say, what firm are you in? As soon as he gave me the firm name, I would put him down, or what law school did you go to? I'd put him or her on this particular uh, plateau. And so it's part of our humanness to uh, want to put people in classifications and figure out how we, we uh, live with them. And again, the gospel comes to transform us most completely. Uh, Lynn and I were, are from Seattle and Spokane. Uh, she came from Spokane. I went to uh, school in Seattle. We both went to Seattle Pacific. It was a, basically an all-white college, Christian college, except for the, some players of the basketball team. And uh, I had no, uh, no colored friends in high school, a blue collar area. Uh, we did not think we were racist. Uh, there was a couple of African-American partners in my law firm that I became good friends with, but not close. And we grew up in a, a church, raised our family in a church for 27 years in Bellevue, Washington, where we finally had an African-American high school pastor who was a former linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. He was a stud and a hero and our high school class soon rose to 100. And he had a dynamic way of preaching, and Ken Hutcherson is now in heaven. But that was diversity in our church. We had an African-American pastor. Came to Chicago. 
And Chicago is completely different than anything we had lived in. And we should be, I should be by definition, because I'm old and I'm white, I should be prejudiced and oppressive and fragile. And maybe in my past a little bit I was until I got involved in Moody Church. It was Good Friday in 1999, and we're sitting near the front, and they're taking communion up front. And all the people are walking down to take communion. Uh, every color, every age, some of the, our brothers and sisters from Nigeria and Uganda were wearing their robes and their, and their headdresses. And Linda and I were both in tears. We thought, this is what the, uh, the community of God is. This is the, the family of God. It's everybody. And it was displayed right there in front of us. And then we were uh, asked to do a, a Bible study by a biracial couple, Moody grads. Uh, uh, Winnie is from Taiwan, I think, and Jeremy was uh, Caucasian. And it turned out that the Bible study had three biracial couples. And uh, Linda and I and another white couple. And we thought, this is interesting, and this is kind of wonderful, because they were grounded, they loved each other, they loved God, and then they had children. And may I say, they had beautiful children. And all of a sudden, some of these residual things that we didn't realize we'd had before, like, well, is it really okay? Is it going to be tough on the children, be biracial, and so forth? It just fell away like that, because we saw every tribe and nation, people, language group right there in front of us. And then we watched this church over 20 years, kind of grow more diverse. And I've said this over and over again, never been corrected by it. But it didn't happen because of any grand plan of the elders, to my knowledge. God just did it because there's good preaching and people walked into these doors and said, I feel accepted here and I see people just like me. And the, the culmination for Lynn and I, we, we teach and mentor in the young, your marriage, your family class, now for 19 years. One of our last retreats, I was standing in the back kind of looking at the, yeah, the ethnicity of our group on that retreat. And there were maybe like three or four Hispanic couples and maybe three or four biracial couples. Uh, there was uh, three or four African-American couples and a few white couples. And I thought, this is the way, this is what God's church is all about, all of us worshiping together and loving one another. And one of the things I've come to the conclusion is that because we all have the same Holy Spirit directing our hearts and our habits, it makes reconciliation so much easier and natural. And after a while, you don't even think about it. I mean, it, uh, I, mean I don't know if Linda had any residual prejudice anywhere, but it really, it was an epiphany. We call it an epiphany. That night, God showed us what, what uh, the house of God is like, and it's beautiful and diverse. Never been difference after that. Thanks for that, that testimony, brother. Anybody else on, on how things have progressed? Yeah, I'd love to chime in here. Um, I think I have, I come from a little bit of a different perspective. Obviously, I'm not white, but I was born here in America. And so I was very aware from, I think, probably elementary school that, um, I was not the standard or what was normal, uh, normalized in society. And so I think felt not badly about it per se, but aware of it, always aware that um, the things and the values around me from culture at large um, didn't reflect anything that looked like me. Now the church was different because I grew up uh, in, a Chinese 
immigrant church where most of the parents were immigrants and most of the kids were either born here in the US or had um, come early on as kids. And so we all spoke English very fluently and our parents did not. Um, and that in itself was a clash of cultures. We were the same race but we were totally different cultures. And yet we needed, um, we were forced to because we loved one another and we couldn't get away from one another. I can't get away from my parents, they can't get away from me. We were forced to learn how to communicate with one another, even though we had different experiences. And I think that really carried over as I became an adult um, and you know, moved out of my home, went on my own, just in learning, in growing in that empathy of what it feels like both to be other and also um, in the work that it takes to um, love one another. And so I think the being proximate, being near and learning from and being exposed to and really diving into relationships and friendships that don't look like you or don't have the same background as you has opened my eyes so much to what other people experience and within the church, how their experience helps me understand who God is even more. There are things about different cultures that my culture doesn't have and therefore I don't understand as well. But God has reflected himself in a diversity of people, not in one kind of person. And so if we don't embrace that diversity of people, then we miss out on so much of the character of God. We miss out on so much of the way he has expressed himself in language, in um, the way you know we honor one another, in all the little bits and pieces. I think the more we honor and embrace and celebrate um, people who are different, who may look different from us, the better and richer perspective we can get on who God is and how he loves us. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Love hearing bits of, their, of your story. Uh, we've waited near this, but I'm going to ask the question uh, and go there. Where have you experienced racism? And what, what does that look like? Well, I, I don't know. In my, in my own experience, it has been, again, being in a place where I was different. And um, and I had to be, and, as, and mention again, as time has gone by and as I have grown and continue to grow in the Lord and, and try to be more like him and understand his, what, how his mind works and try to simulate that, I, I, I think I'm less harsh, but... Um, I remember being stopped, again, wrong place, uh, here in Chicago. My, my wife and I were celebrating. I think we were one year of dating. She was at school. I came over to see her, and I made a U-turn, so I got stopped. I had license plates from, from Texas, driving this old, you know, Pontiac 6000 LE. It looked like a low-rider car. I mean, I fit the <laughs> bit right there, right? And the police officer was having a bad day, and, and I got... Stop and taking in, and I had stopped because can you need to stop and use the restroom or something? And it was a scary moment. And I remember, you know, you know when 
if it was a couple hours maybe at most, and then they let me go. I had done anything wrong. I got a ticket for a U-turn, you know, paid it. But I remember feeling scared and, and not understand why. But I remember a police officer came and said, he said, I don't know what's wrong with the partner. He's having a bad day. Just go. She opened the door in the interrogation room and left me go. <laughs> and, I, and I just ran. That's why I just walked really calm, got in the car. It's like, okay, let's get out of here. And, uh, but it's when you get pulled over or you don't get served at the restaurant. Remember that not being served at a restaurant? Because it was coming through the deep south, Louisiana, and, and uh, you know, it was an African-American community, and we were not African-American. We looked different. So I remember speaking with a, barely speaking English at the time, and uh, it's like if I wasn't talking, you know, they keep taking all the people in front of me, and, and I didn't understand, and finally they took us, and I remember feeling, what is, what is this all about? Uh, the last one, and then there's the times where you feel racism, and it wasn't intended. It was just common sense ignorance, I don't know. When somebody asked me, uh, I was doing ministry in, in prison, in Stateville Penitentiary, and one of the chaplains, uh, his complaint said, well, I don't even know if he, he can get in there because of the background checks. I'm like, what does that mean? He said, do you, have, do you even have a green card? I'm like, I don't have a green card. A visa. I don't have a visa. I'm a U.S. U.S. citizen. <laughs> Just happened to be born on the other side of that of that of the river, you know. So being a natural American, but because of my background, they just made an assumption that I was, you know, that I, my my experience here was uh, different, and um, and those things. I think that just sometimes people, sometimes they're intentionally racist, right? Sometimes they're, they're, they're falling. They don't understand or know beyond that. And I think in my side, it, had, it came to me that I took it as a racist event. And I had to later deal with that with the Lord. Say, Lord, you know, was that really it? And, and I wish I could say that was it. But every other time that, that when, I, when there's some injustice or some, you know, I'm not giving some opportunity or something, the first card that comes up, right? Well, it's because I'm Hispanic. It's because I have an accent. It's because I look better than they do. I don't know. It's all these kind of self-centered things. And I think that's what the root of racism. Mm -hmm. And when we come to God, as I start to look and say, Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. What do you see? And I think that's where my experience with these feelings of racism is starting to change. It's because it wasn't so much a colored thing. You know, uh, my best friend was African-American in Dallas. Uh, my grandfather was as white as, you know, and my, one of my heroes. Um, and there's other things where there's wisdom. Uh, intercultural marriages. My grandfather's American white guy who went to Mexico to do missionary work in charge of the Salvation Army there. And there was a an interracial uh, couple that wanted to get married, he said, no, because you're white and he's Mexican. Well, later on, his daughter did the same thing, right? And this was my, my wife's parents. It was the other couple. But there was a wisdom behind that because of the culture thing. And every time you talk to somebody who marry cross-culturally, even in the same color scheme, but they're cross-cultural, their marriage are harder. 
And I think that's his wisdom wasn't, he wasn't trying to be racist. He was trying to say, listen, you are about to go into this whole other world where you're trying, life is just gonna be more difficult. And if you talk to any of those couples, they will tell you, yes, marrying somebody from another country with different views, with different cultures, background, uh, gender roles, that has been an ongoing battle, right? So there's a wisdom of that, but that is interpreted as racism. Well, why would you want to oppose? You know, love is love. Well, yeah, then we're not, God's love is love, as I said, but human love is so much self-centered that culture, experience, expectations, all those things come in and they get mixed up in those distinct complicated texts we, uh, where we call racism. So my experience has been that could have been better, should have been. When I let my guard down, I can be. But just to see, what do you see, God? And, and then begin to see, what were they thinking has helped me. So, yeah. oh, Thanks for sharing that, brother. Any others at all? I don't want to, I'm in the spot, but um, yeah, what I want to hear. Just one more thing, following up on Josue, and that talking about the different kind of love in, in our country, in, our, in, in the world. And we have 1 Corinthians 13 love. It's just not for weddings. It's for us loving one another. And this, let me read it and see if you can find prejudice or discrimination anywhere in it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and I'd say, and never is prejudiced. And that's the type of God, love that God calls us to, and we get there over time. As we, we learn um, the deeper truths of God's word, and we, he puts us through experiences, and he uh, disciplines us from time to time, or reminds us of our sin, and we have to repent and, and make things right. God does that in our hearts, and so we gradually, even if we had the intention to be prejudiced over time, God's word has to drive that out. God's spirit has to replace any type of sinful spirit that we have. And again, that goes to vertical relationship, hits and corrects the horizontal relationship, and we can't expect the horizontal relationships between one another to be good if our relationship with God is not good. Mm. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks, Bob. I think of... Um you know, the, the heavenly vision that we've been given, right? Right, that we've been talking about and discussing uh, and that we've been given to steward and to, to walk with. Um, Albert, maybe you, you could, you know, speak where you've seen either individuals um, faithfully live this out uh, or, or even groups of people where uh, maybe you've seen this modeled well, uh, you know, maybe counteracting maybe the bad examples or racism that we've, we've observed. Can you, can you speak to that as we close? I mean, I think we're trying to do it here. Um, that's why we're sitting here right now, uh, bringing these things to the surface. Um, so I, I think I've seen it in action in this context uh, of our church. Um, and I, I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, there's so much that's been said um, but I think something that sticks with me is uh, probably Cassie's suggestion that there is a, a cost for reconciliation. Um, and for us, that cost has been paid. Um, 
by Jesus. Because we, I mean, we would like to think that we could reconcile amongst ourselves if we really wanted to. But as Josue said earlier, we're apart from relationship with God, right relationship with God, uh, harmonious relationship with God, we're dead. So I can't, I can't reconcile with anyone. Because <laughs> um, I'm a corpse. <laughs> um, but I've been made alive and united again with, with Jesus in his new life as a new person. And in that same one um, you know, grand move, um, I've been pulled into a new family. I think, Josue, you also referenced James, uh, the, the letter that James wrote, um, the brother of Jesus. And there he speaks at length about the influence of the Spirit of God um, and our Father and our familial relationship. And so if we are a family, then we would have, you know, if we're a, a group of siblings, we would have had a common influence, our parent. And that would really characterize who we were as people. Um, and so if I were ex acting or um, speaking out of prejudice or favoritism as to how someone might look, what they were wearing, um, where they live, any of that, um, then really that has no place in this family because that is a completely different attribute than would be found in our parent, our divine parent. Um, and so I think keeping those things in mind, um, the, the idea that the spirit has transformed us and that's not who we are, um, that we have a different influence and the value, I think we've talked a lot as well about value, the value of Cassie or Bob or Josue is not determined, or, or me, is not determined by some material standard that we might um, draw up among ourselves to, uh, as Bob was saying, kind of uh, categorize or rank uh, one another. Um, but again, we are, we are in that great sea of uh, individuals who are all worshiping together under the same familial umbrella. Um, and it's not as though they're all the same. Uh, I think we're yeah, back to the, that vision of Revelation. They're not all the same. Otherwise, John wouldn't have said that they were people of different nations and tribes and tongues. So he can clearly see that they're different. Um, but they're all in perfect union. Mm. And so I think those ideas uh, help in the church because we are now living in, the, in that justice. We're living in the life that we've been gifted from the creator. So we can be reconciled. I, I don't have to live with, you know, these ideas of prejudice, well, you know, these people are like that, or, you know, these people are lesser than us. Like, I don't have to embrace those things in the way that our culture, maybe society, historically might suggest I would. That's good. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah. No, that's helpful, that's helpful. Cassie, you wanna add something? Yeah, just briefly, I think, um, where I've seen the church do this well and what I have hope for is 
when the church really is willing to stop and listen to those who are hurting and marginalized by the reality of how race has divided us. Mm. And instead of painting over it, like I spoke to before with let's just all be unified, really listening. And I think the world pays attention when we do that. Mm. I think when the world sees that the church is saying, I see this, I see that some people are being hurt and oppressed and marginalized and we want to um, bring the reconciliation of Christ into this and be humble enough to ask, how have I contributed to this? And be um, intentional enough to look to people who um, may not be like us and build relationships in those hard ways. Mm-hmm. I think that's when we as a church, you know, you, you will be known, um, you know, by, by your love for, by your love. It says you will be known by your love and our love for those who are hurting, our love for those who are crying out for help, our love for those who are being marginalized and oppressed. Uh, if we as a church can love well in those circumstances, our witness would be undeniable for Christ. Amen. Amen. That's the mic drop of the night right there. And I think that that's so much. We as the church have an opportunity here and, and look at our culture, look at our nation, look at our world right now. It is overwhelmed. It is hurting. It is fractured. Um, it's discouraged. And we as the church can step in and be a powerful testimony be that agent uh, that holds up the gospel, the agent of reconciliation, and how to do it, right? Like not only, hey, we've got the goods and it's Christ, but how to model it. So even how we talk about these things with love, with charity, with humility, as learners coming to hear and listen, truly listen and learn and be willing to be at a different place than I was a year ago. That is a powerful thing. And that modeling itself is a beautiful thing for the world to peek in on and observe. And that will cause some wonder to reflect on who Christ is and who are those Christians. Um, so thank you. Thank you for each of you for sharing um, what you have tonight.